1: of exceptional Arabs around the world and their journey to the top. We're making history
0: tonight. We're all in here proud of our cultures, proud of our families, proud of our flags. And this is what this girl has got us all here doing, flying our own flags. Nouria! What? She's doing something crazy right now.
1: Our final guest this season is the multi-talented artist Nuriya, a producer, radio host, and a DJ that has taken the electronic music scene by storm. Nuriya gained our attention during the pandemic when she would post on social media these visually rich mixes from her bedroom. They were upbeat and fresh and often showcased how Arabic melodies and Arabic music were sampled to make some of the most iconic tracks in Western pop music. These videos quickly went viral. (laughs) (laughs) Nuria was born in Saudi Arabia and grew up in Japan, and this international upbringing spills into her music mixes. She's always blending different genres, and it's part of what makes her sets so vibrant. And in her own words, infectious. Nancy Ajram, remixed with Latin hip-hop. Um thum with Super Mario theme track. Muhammad Asaf with the Chemical Brothers. I mean, come on. Currently based in London, Nuria is on a mission to make Arabic music heard and recognized globally. In addition to playing gigs, she launched an event series called Middle of Nowhere, where she invites leading DJs from the Suwana region to fuse together North African rhythms, hip-hop, Latin music, and ground-shaking beats. I had the immense honor of sitting down with Nudia to chat about her journey and her craft and what it means for more and more artists from our region to be claiming their place on the global music stage. Here it is, and I hope you enjoy it. I'm Dana Balut, and this is El Empire. Hi, Nudia, Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So I was curious, Nudia, obviously we're here to talk about music and and DJing and your career in that, but you did not start in in music. I wonder if you could talk about what you actually studied and how you ended up on
0: the airwaves. When I was little, I guess music was always part of the tapestry at home. I just never really realized that until I grew older. I remember I would listen to the radio with Baba, like in the car. And I would always think radio is something that I can't access as a human. It's like done somewhere in Mars or in some different universe than the world. And I later, after finishing my master's in public health, I started going to community radios where I would do voiceovers like good morning you're listening to that type of stuff and then I remember seeing the decks over there and when I was younger I used to always pretend that I was a cashier because I loved pressing buttons and then when I saw the music decks the DJ decks I was like I need to learn because this is the best of both worlds combining my love of music and also my love for pressing buttons so that's how it came about but
1: how did you even end up in a radio station? Like um obviously you didn't you just walk in, but how did you even get to that into that room?
0: It was a really really random story. It was actually at a point of frustration with my dissertation at the time. It was around child health in conflict zones, and I remember I I hit like a I was stuck uh, at the conclusion part. Uh, it was kind of a systematic review on, on the subject. And I was stuck and I said, okay, let me just go to the mall, just walk around by myself, maybe like a, like a tea and maybe things will feel a little bit easier on me. And I randomly met a and now someone who is a dear friend of mine at the mall. And I remember he mentioned to me how He works at a radio station called Radar Radio. Um, And Radar Radio, for those who don't know, is a London-based community station that no longer exists uh, for various reasons. But he was kind of my introduction to that existing for anyone who wants to learn a thing or two about radio. The story that I heard is that he liked your voice.
1: (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. I was asked to do voiceovers. Yeah, through that. And had you been told that in the
0: past, that you had a really good voice? I still get told that sometimes it's like I get told that I should do cartoon voiceovers, which I'd love to. Um, but I I get told to do like audiobooks or late night jazz shows. Like you'll be like, you know, good evening. But um, but I I really enjoy voiceovers. There's something really lovely about storytelling when you can't see, you know, who's talking.
1: You talk about a lot about your dad, um, you know, uh, listening to the radio with him. And obviously he's a musician himself. We'll get into that a little later. But once you started to develop this kind of love for radio and music, did you talk to him about it often? Like what, what were those conversations like?
0: I actually didn't. I just remember I used to wake up at like 3.30 a.m. to go to the breakfast show in West London in like a very nook and cranny station. And they would be like, what the hell are you doing? But I wouldn't speak to them about it much because I felt at the time I had like such a huge shyness around the idea that I am in public health, but I'm doing something so different outside of that. And I just wasn't sure how to approach it really to me what that journey looked like was starting in radio producing or I guess playing a lot of mixes for different radio stations in order to share my sound with different people whether it's in a radio station in New York, a radio station in Australia whatever it may be just um, doing a lot of work Uh, if I might add for free for the first couple of years. That's that tends to be the way it is. Um, I remember I used to take like four hour sets in the beginning just so I could practice four to six sometimes. And you you kind of learn a lot when you do that. You learn about how to manage your nerves when you first begin a set, what story you wanna tell through the set and um it's just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of practice. (laughs) Um, you also have to love it. Like you have to love not just performing, but being able or willing to make sacrifices because of the time that it takes, but also the time hours in the day that, that you have to work. There are so many different personal sacrifices that you have to take. And then you build sort of like a like a musical community around you and then they kind of, you know, hug you through it, I guess.
1: Hold your hands and hug you through it. Yeah. Um, I love that you use the word, like, what story I'm going to tell through every set. How do you begin thinking about what story do you want to tell? And then what is it like for people that have, like me, like no clue what DJing would look like or what making a set would look like?
0: I'm really happy you asked that question because a lot of the times I see comments online around how DJs are just pressing buttons and like, Playing playlisted songs, but it takes a lot of preparation and a lot of the, the work actually goes on much before you hit the decks. I'm someone who loves themes and stories. Um, I think about what I want to say in the set and then I decide how it's going to go in terms of you know energy is it going to start slow and then end with a bang or is it a bang and then ends tapers off if I am for example closing a club it depends what time uh, I am on as well but there's a lot that goes on to it, including, for example, which keys the songs are um if if the keys um, of the songs that you're mixing are aligned in terms of tempo as well. So there are some constraints. It's not just kind of playlisting any song um, in order for a set to sound sonically well and and
1: how do you go about finding the songs that kind of me you know match the story that you're trying to tell?
0: Uh, this is sort of something like a music producer would do in terms of, collecting samples, right? It would be years and years of building crates. And you also define your taste as you go along and as you listen to different things. And I think there's such a beautiful kind of, I guess, beautiful musical corners that exist. And the more you're immersed in different things, the more you will find gems in between.
1: Yeah, how much of your life is just like scouring the internet or looking for unknown sounds? Like how much of your life is is that? Um, oh, I
0: think like a good seventy <laughs> yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah, a good seventy percent. In my PJs as well. I'm I'm always in my PJs when I do that. <laughs>
1: um, when uh, when you started DJing. How did that feel like if you can recount or maybe take me back to the scene of your first DJ set publicly, like with an audience, maybe in a club, like set the scene for me and what, did, what was going on like in your hearts and in your minds?
0: I just remember I had prepared for that set for so long like I just remember I wanted it to be perfect and I also you have to kind of beat your doubt and your worries with a lot of practice which is really funny because on your first set or mine at least I was so nervous that all the things that I practiced went out of the window I just had (laughs) it I just had to just kind of brave it and when I pressed play, I remember my hands just shaking profusely and maybe into six songs. Then then I calmed down a little bit and I was like, okay, I got this. You have to like tuck yourself up in the first five songs. And I just remember finishing and realizing that sets, uh, especially non-recorded ones, are all about connecting with the people with you rather than you know, making sure that everything goes to plan. It's really a conversation with the people around you. If someone uh, around me moves a certain way or reacts a certain way, then... Uh, that's kind of a, a positive reinforcement to me. Like to me, they're saying, you go, girl, even though you didn't, they didn't say anything. They just <laughs> busted a move in the dance floor. And then uh, I kind of respond to them, you know, I'll be like, thank you. Here's something else you might like. You know, it's like a conversation, I feel. I love that. That is great.
1: In December 2022, Nudia played a phenomenal Boiler Room set that cemented her place in the DJ Hall of Fame. Boiler Room, by the way, is this prominent event series where DJs are invited to play a set that is then filmed and then put on the internet. And it's a really, really big deal. So for this one, Nudia invited her dad to open up the show. He played his Oud. And when you watch the video, you can see from the start to finish how the crowd was absolutely buzzing. Like watch, just even watching that video, I was like amped, I was hyped. It looked like everyone in the room was just like, loving it. You were amping them up and they were amping you up. And is that like common? Is that how
0: like, or was that a special night for you? I I would say it's common, but that night was a special especially kind of joyous in in such a strange way because if you watch the video you might think that I've known those people for maybe I don't know five to ten years and they're my friends backing me but probably 90% of those people behind me who are supporting me are strangers which is the beauty of music. There was such a deep connection that day that I can't even describe and it was like the The cherry on top of everything, like it was, I I had to go home and kind of just lay on the floor of my flat like a starfish and just (laughs) shed a few tears because it was beyond my imagination how it went.
1: Well... I think a big part of it was also your dad being there in the beginning and
0: <laughs> yeah, playing. He was very loved and yeah adored uh, during that set, and a lot of people really welcomed him, and it was really sweet. Also, he said a dad joke at the beginning, and I was so embarrassed. I don't know if you guys noticed. He basically was sweating profusely because it was really really hot in the in the space. Also, poor dad, his road like his, the tuning really went bad because of the heat in the space. He was like, uh, he stopped everything. He's supposed to start performing at that moment. He stopped everything and said, looked at me and he said, Nuria didn't say that it was an actual boiler room. (laughs) And then, and then I was like, "Baba!" (laughs) and and everyone started laughing and it's like a moment online that people laugh about.
1: I love that. How did it, like, did you just wake up one day and just think like, you know what, I want to take my, I want to bring my dad into this. And was he like game
0: from the very beginning? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I woke up and I was like, what's something I could do to also just honor the stuff that I used to hear at home, because he's always playing the Oud. He's he even plays the Oud in the toilet whenever he has a chance. Like he's just <laughs> he's just playing the Oud everywhere. I asked him and he he asked a few questions. He's like, you know, what does this actually mean? Like, what is a boiler room, Aslan, like to begin with? <laughs> and um, I explained and then he was game and we actually only practiced for maybe a maximum of 20 minutes for that. And I was grateful because at the time I was producing the whole event and I had a lot on. So he made my life so much easier. It's so sweet to have his support in that way. Did he feel how special, it? like, did he end up watching your
1: set? And what did he tell you after that? I mean, if I was your parent, I would have been so proud, like, and my
0: my heart would have burst. Like, what was his reaction like? But he didn't know it was gonna be as big as, a, as it is, even though I explained to him like boiler room is it's like the coveted thing to do as a DJ. Um, he He's quite happy about it. And I think what was really special to me as well, my mom was watching from like a mezzanine space. And so were all my siblings. So it felt really nice because it was also the first time that my siblings uh, see me play. So yeah, it was kind of a big moment for me. It's, it's sort of like an outing as to this This has been what I've been doing for the past seven years, by the way. And I, I don't think people know. It takes a lot of, I think, kind of a dance with fear before you take the risks that I've taken in my career. It's not easy. And I'm, you get better at it, but then also the kettle of fish that you're frying gets bigger. So then the fear also moves with it. So yeah, no, there's always, it's natural. There, I feel like if you if you have zero fear, it's a problem. If you have too much fear, it's a problem. Having some fear is just great.
1: I just retweeted a bunch of your tweets about how Western music often takes sounds from you know Arabic tunes because it sounds maybe exotic for them or different. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit about like, you know, what inspired you to also show how much Western music is also impacted by, um, by you know, Arabic or Arab sounding or middle swana sounding sounds, I guess, um, and how
0: you even found those comparisons. The beginning was through just obvious tracks that my mom used to listen to and maybe a lot of Arab households used to listen to, you know, Abdel Halim Halfaz and things like that where you can immediately see the connection with Big Pimpin if you, you know, <laughs> both of them are gigantic tracks in their own way, right? That that was the beginning. But then the interest in terms of learning more just took over. And I had the privilege of speaking to ethnomusicologists and researchers around this topic. And it's actually quite fascinating. For example, a lot of, a lot of people ask me questions around how could we keep music diverse or how can we promote more diverse music but there's actually quite a bigger systemic problem in the music sphere and not only as you mentioned our ears are conditioned to enjoy the things that we are exposed to from the for example the algorithms and the databases on top of that there's also the idea that if you take for example the production softwares um, that exist and the golden standard softwares that producers use to create music, they really highlight and emphasize and support the use of uh, Western scales. And they make it quite hard and challenging for the producer to have like an open canvas to create diverse music to begin with. So because this technology makes producing music accessible, of course. At the same time, there's the harm that it does in terms of not giving producers from all over the world the ease and ability to create diverse music. So lots of traditions are being lost per se, but a lot of people argue that maybe this is a way for music to cross-pollinate. But at the same time, uh, scholars argue that it's all cross-pollination with Western. Music, which yeah, uh, some find a problem.
1: Nuria, tell me about Middle of Nowhere and how you, uh, yeah, what was the inception of the idea, and then how that ended up coming to fruition.
0: Yeah, uh, as a DJ, I was involved in so many spaces and I just remember feeling super bored about what existed around me and what I wanted to see be played in music spaces. I felt like the Swana music was just operating in silos and I felt like that wasn't something that progressed the narrative at all. Like I, I my vision is that those sounds are just naturally part of the global tapestry, like the same way that people love Afrobeat, the same way they love i Piano, the same way they love reggaeton. I just need sounds to be as part of the global table, musical table. Um, and I thought, what better way to kind of create Middle of Nowhere, which just is a space where those sounds can be celebrated, but also amongst other infectious sounds like quite naturally, because in my USB as a DJ, I have everything that I, I love that I find infectious, no matter what the genre is. And I just find that with my kind of peers, my DJ peers that that swana music is not on their USB. And I kind of want to change that. I'm like, why not? Yeah. And I do feel like you're at the
1: forefront of that. And people like you are are pushing that um mission i would say just in the press like just from a us perspective like on npr the other day like um danny hajad who was talking about this like resurgence you know there's an arab artist that's going to be on Co- coachella soon like that was that's the first time it'll happen have you seen a shift and do you think it's a shift in the right direction
0: i have definitely seen a shift and it happens in so many i guess insidious, for lack of a better word, ways. Um, It starts small from kind of, for example, women messaging me saying, now I can see that it's possible to even play the sounds that you like and not just conforming to what you know. Any audience would enjoy. Like if you play the Drakes and the and the Beyonces, you know that any crowd will move to that uh, globally. Because you know it's it's kind of it takes a bit of a a bravery to challenge and educate on the dance floor. And I feel like more and more people are willing to do that because there's more and more of us doing it. Yeah, so I think it's a it's a push to the right direction in a way. I'm someone who plays, all sorts of music from around the world, as long as it's infectious. But what I would tell someone who, you know, might not have listened to music from the region or from the Swana diaspora that you should explore it because it is incredibly infectious and can rival some of your favorite genres. And I would say, don't look at it as a monolith. There are so many sounds, uh, rich sounds across the region. For example, if you take Morocco, Tunis and Algeria, there's a lot of sub-Saharan African influences. If you look at the Arab speaking countries, there is Iranian and, and Turkish influences. And there's these like pockets of cross-pollination that are so beautiful and that, that I wish people to pay attention to. And then even if you delve deeper into kind of towns or villages down to the musician there are lots of diversity and I think there's also now in addition to kind of this traditional sense there is a a lot of producers creating futuristic music so I would say there is something for everyone in the in the region and please explore it if you wish to find some cool music yeah
1: I like this quote that you have here, that representation helps break how mainstream media continues to falsely portray us for decades now. And that representation definitely makes the future of music more exciting. What would be an exciting future of music for you?
0: Oh, it would be super diverse lineups. Um, It would be people in the crowd being receptive to new sounds and new music that they've never heard and for them to respond and enjoy it and it would be a natural part of of how music is consumed that's like my ideal scenario <laughs> and what's next
1: for you Nuria? like what are you looking forward to in your own career
0: uh, I am looking forward to creating my own music but also creating the visuals around it. I really love storytelling and I think that would be a really cool next chapter. I'm always someone who enjoys like audiovisual work, even when it comes to my sets. So I'd love to take it in that direction and like think of themes and yeah, bring them to life through different mediums. Yeah. Uh,
1: I guess a final question for me and you, Nudia, teach DJ classes. Do you think anyone can
0: be a DJ? Oh, it depends. Actually, yes. My answer is yes, because it depends what you want out of it. Maybe it's something that you enjoy at home. You know, it's it's all about knowing how to count. And I think, you know, if you count to four, you can DJ with practice.
1: As you say, kind of dance with fear a little bit.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. Thank you so
1: much, Nuri. It was so nice to chat with you you as well
0: thank you for such rich questions
1: i mean, it was such a pleasure you actually really enriched my life and i was listening to your set like this morning last night even though i wasn't in a club and it was just me in my room it was like amazing and it changed my mood it lifted my spirits. so i'm really grateful you really have enriched
0: my life <laughs> i really appreciate it i feel touched thank you
1: A special thanks to Nuria for joining us on this episode. If you'd like to check out her masterpiece Boiler Room set, we've added it in the show notes. Also, if you'd like to watch the full uncut video interview with Nuria, just head to YouTube and search El Empire and follow our socials at Kerning Cultures. Danny Hajjad, who I mentioned in my chat with Nudia, is a music journalist who is amazing and puts together a hub for all things Arab music, culture, and stories curated weekly. The newsletter, which you can check out at sa'aluninnas.com, I'll spell it out later, features a playlist of songs by Arab artists in the region and the diaspora, cultural stories about Arab communities, and a guest feature of some awesome, inspiring people with roots in the Middle East and North Africa to talk about their go-to music. And you can sign up for this letter at Saaluninnas.com, which is S-A-A-L-O-U-N-I-E-L-N-A-S. Nas. And check out some of Zani's amazing writing on Pitchfork, GQ, Middle East, Esquire, Middle East, and elsewhere. I've enjoyed every article I've read. He was also on NPR most recently. This episode was produced by Al Shaibani and edited by Hibas Sharif. Fact-checking was by Laura Wahid, and sound design and mixing by Ahmad Mitri. Bella Ibrahim, Sumayyabu Abdullah, Malak Jarrar, Nadine Shaiti, Tala Tukli and Ahmad Salhab handle our amazing marketing and Batul Khalife, our captain of the ship, is our operations manager. I'm Dana Balut and this is Al Empire, a production of the Curtain Cultures Network. Take care.